All right, folks, welcome back to the culture here on the Black Star Network. Uh, Our final conversation is something that we have been talking about here on the show for some time, and this is the issue of reparations. Well, there has been another development in the the case of reparations, particularly here in the state of California, as Californians are now awaiting a big, big report to come out of the uh, California Reparations Task Force where they will provide some recommendations on how the state of California can move forward and possibly creating some program or some space uh, within the state government where reparations can be distributed. Let me share with you a little bit about where we are with this. Take a look at this. This is coming from the GRIO, but it says that a vote is possibly slated for this weekend on requirements for who would be eligible for payments and other remedies was delayed because of the absence of uh, of one of the committee's nine members. But the group may vote Saturday on whether lawmakers should create an agency to implement an eventual reparations program. Now, lawmakers passed legislation in 2020 creating the task force to assess how this legacy of slavery harmed African-Americans long after its abolition uh, through education, criminal justice, and other disparities. The legislation directs the task force to study reparations proposal with a special consideration for the descendants of enslaved black people living in California, and is not meant to create a program in lieu of one from the federal government. Uh, Let me bring in my brother. Uh, Oh, one more. The first of its kinds is the country, but some used the group's latest two-day meeting in Sacramento to warn that not enough black Californians are sufficiently informed about its work. All right, let me bring my brother in, Dr. Uh, brother Michael Inhotep, who is a researcher, scholar. He's host of the African History Network podcast show, and you can see it on YouTube and in other social media. And um, we're happy to have him on Mondays as well. Brother Michael, how are you, sir? Good afternoon. Hey, Faraji, I'm doing all right. Can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. We can hear you. We can hear okay, you. All good. right. So you, you, you've, been, you've been staying on top of this reparations piece. Um, and particularly what's been happening here in the state of California. But the latest about the fact that, that this, there's this big report that's supposed to come out from the task force, the reparations task force, trying to move the ball forward. What, what, do, you, what do you expect that this report will say or how this thing is going to move forward, Brother Michael? Well, there's a, uh, the deadline is July 1st, and uh, they're going to release a report uh, that – deals with how they're going to uh, deals with what the recommendations are for reparations and how it will be distributed, who it will go to, things of this nature. Now, back um, June, let's see, back in 2022, um, they took a vote uh, dealing with dealing with how to determine uh, the criteria for who would get reparations. And that dealt with doing it based upon lineage. So you would have to trace your, uh, you have to be able to trace your ancestry uh, here in this country back to uh, an African-American person who was here in the U.S. prior to 1900, okay? Either mm-hmm. an enslaved person or it could, uh, also a free person, but they had to be here prior to 1900, from my understanding. Uh, so some people, did not some African Americans did not like this, and they said that uh, this is not going to be inclusive of all of the African Americans in California. So, uh, African Americans make about 
is about 2.5, 2.6 million of them in California. Mm-hmm. Now, the reason why they had to do it based upon lineage as opposed to just, uh, just saying this is all for, say it again? No, I was just going to say versus just saying you're black. Yeah, yeah. Well, the reason why they had to do it based upon lineage as, as opposed to based upon race mm-hmm. is because in the state of California, race-based policies are illegal. And they want to make sure that when this gets challenged in court, and it definitely will be challenged in court, they want to make sure that it will not be overturned in court because it's deemed illegal and violates California state law. So I've been reading different articles and you have different people and activists, things like this, upset that it won't go to all African-Americans in California. And it seems like a lot of us really don't understand law. And if 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 you have Republicans filing lawsuits to block student loan debt forgiveness and it's going to help millions of white people, you think they're not going to file lawsuits to block this? reparations in, in California and African-Americans are only like 5.4, 5.5% of the California population. We're not right. a majority of the California population. So, uh, you know, there was an article that came out also uh, from the Washington Post and it dealt with um, San Francisco debates reparations, $5 million for each, $5 million each for black residents. That ain't going to happen. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's that's not gonna happen at all i mean not not in your wildest dreams will something like that happen and um uh dr darren you had to shoot it down like that that five million five million dollars no that's not gonna happen that's that's like the that's like the study there was a there was a study that came out a couple years ago yeah this one right here there's a study that came out a couple years ago and it said African Americans were owed six quadrillion dollars for uh for slavery. Six quadrillion dollars did not exist in the entire world when the study came out. So so the first thing, so if if that's more money than exists in the entire world, what good is the study? We, we we have to we have to understand it doesn't matter how much you think you're owed. The only thing that matters is how much you can actually collect. All this stuff, mm. all this stuff floating around out here, six quad, six quadrillion at the in, in about tw- uh, at the time, maybe about 2020, there was a astrophysicist who did a study and found that five quadrillion dollars existed in the world. A quadrillion is one followed by 18 zeros. If six quadrillion don't exist in the entire world, what good is your study? Then the other thing is try to enforce it. Try, try to enforce it. If you can't get a bill passed to study reparations, explain to me how you get one passed to pay reparations. See, we, we, we're not thinking hey, about hey, this hey, logically. Hey, you might as well just put our children up and be, just be like, hey, I'm going to get a bazillion dollars. I was I was speaking at a Juneteenth event in Inkster, Michigan, which is a suburb of Detroit, man. And I was speaking at a church, and this sister brought this study. And I I read about the study, and I laughed when I read about it. This is just nonsense, okay? And I'm like, come on. But, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we throw out these crazy numbers. Right. And at the same time, we have to look at how do you get this enforced? But if your argument is, okay, our ancestors worked for free for 246 years, therefore they are owed this money because they work for free. The first premise question that, that I would ask is what law are you citing the slaves are supposed to be paid in the first place? If right. your argument is that they're supposed that the descendants are going to 
should be paid because our ancestors work for free. How do you, you can't enforce it? So yeah. we have to understand operating within law. That's why the, what, what California is doing is excellent. And people should start reading the uh, 500 page study that they released, which is the most comprehensive study dealing with um, inequities and discrimination and racism against African-Americans since the Kerner Commission report came out in 1968. OK. Uh, but so we need to understand that. But also, and I know we're coming up on a break, the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 is one of our best chances to get some type of restitution because many of our ancestors were getting benefits from those treaties, but they got kicked out of those treaties around 1941. Mm, mm, mm. See, see, see I'm, a, I'm for what will ever work, but to understand yeah. will, what will work, we need to understand a, his, a history of what has worked. In the right. Black Freedmen Indian Treaties, there's a documented history of that working. Look, we got to take a quick pause. When we come forward, uh, crew, I want to get your take on, on this part of the discussion where in the state of California, the Cal California Reparations Task Force is expected to release a, a, a comprehensive report about what the state can do to move the needle closer for Californians to get reparations. As you can hear, Brother Michael and Hotep just breaking it down. Um, how the uh, this decision or this report can create an implication for a whole for the whole country, set a precedent for the whole country. I want to get your take on this, folks. Join us in the conversation. Post your comments in the chat as we're streaming live on YouTube, Facebook, and of course on Black Star Network and Amazon News. And stay with us. We're going to take a quick pause when we come forward. More conversations about reparations, California, and you. It's the culture right here on the Black Star Network. All right, folks, welcome back to the show. We've been talking about reparations and how Californians are awaiting a big report to come from the Reparations Task Force, which would give some ideas as to how the state of California can, uh, can pay reparations or give reparations for Black people whose lineage shows that they are connected, that they're, uh, they were involved in the uh, enslavement of Black people in this country. It is a big, big conversation that just recently, even though this discussion has been around for 30, over these past couple of years, especially with the, um, the justice, uh, the, the efforts around uh, police brutality and other social justice issues, now reparation is coming back into the conversation in a very, very big and mainstream way. Uh, Brother Michael and Hotep is having this conversation. Let me go to some of the crew, and the crew has been checking in on this, Brother Michael. Some folks are, are, are again, um, some folks are saying, like, you know, we should see what California does, and other folks are saying, look, let's not even have any hope. Why? Before we get into the crew, I do want to ask you, why should folks really believe that reparations may happen in their lifetime? Is this is this a very real possibility, Brother Michael? In your and from all the research and all and all of the the, the work that you've done around this issue, it, does it seem possible? Well, let's go back in history and look at the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866, because the Choctaw, Chickasaw, Creek, Cherokee, and Seminole Indians owned African slaves, and uh, the Africans that they owned 
uh, they were they were forced to set them free by the federal government. Those Africans were given land. They were given membership into uh, the uh, Native American nations, and they were given all the rights and privileges of being a member of those Native American nations. So they actually got restitution. This is um, how you have a Sarah Rector who was of uh, Creek Indian, uh, African enslaved ancestry, Sarah Rector in Oklahoma, and she became the richest Afro-American girl in the country in the early 1900s at about 12 or 13 years old because oil was discovered on her land. So there's a history of this. We just don't understand that history. Now, when it comes to getting reparations today, uh, one of the first things I would do is take the term reparations off of it because automatically it has a negative term to some people. And you have to keep in mind, the majority of the people in the state legislatures or in uh, Congress, U.S. Congress, who are going to vote for this are white. All right. So uh, when we deal with restitution at a federal level, um, one of the things we have to look at is not so much just focus on getting a check. We have we need comprehensive reparations. So the laws and policies that were put in place that negatively have negatively impacted African-Americans for decades, you have to reverse those laws and policies. At the same time, you have to show how it's beneficial to America in general to correct the wrongs. This is why when we look at the uh, uh, the study that we talked about uh, last week, when we talked about Japanese Americans uh, who were who uh, were united to help African Americans get uh, uh, reparations, and the study, the, the article from CBSNews.com uh, that talked about how the U.S. economy had lost 16 trillion dollars uh, over the last uh, 20 years because of racism. All right. Yeah. And, and, and it goes through and breaks down how that negatively impacted African-Americans. But also it talks about how it and I just posted the link there. It talks about how this is hurting America in general. OK. And it says that if these inequities were fixed, the U.S. economy could grow by five trillion dollars uh, over the next five years. If those if those loopholes were closed, those policies were changed. So it's showing how racism negatively impacts everybody, even though we get the brunt of it. So yeah. when, when we understand how to properly position that and focus on comprehensive reparations, we have a much better chance of, get, of getting that into place. But also you have to understand how to get bills passed in Congress. It takes 218 votes in the U.S. House of Representatives to get any bill passed. It takes 60 votes in the Senate because of the filibuster. OK, so once we understand how to score touchdowns and don't confuse a touchdown with a first down, then we can start scoring some points. We're playing a real life game of political football and don't know the difference between the first down and the touchdown and wonder why we don't have points on the board. Mm. Chris Bank, you checked in and said, uh, there it is, that piece. Uh, racism has cost the U.S. $16 trillion, according to Citigroup. $16 trillion. That, that's just, this was over 20 years, not 246 that's years, not 400 that's, years. Yeah. Yeah, from 2000 to, uh, 2000 to 2019. Right. So over a 20 year period, you're talking about yes. 16 trillion dollars. Gotcha. Yes. Gotcha. Uh, Chris Big, you checked in and said lineage is the only legal way to disperse reparations under the U.S. Constitution. Well, what it is, is because if you if you're looking at federal law, uh, Title six of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Section 601, non-discrimination and federally assisted programs uh, makes illegal um, race based policies. Right. So so. California, what California does could serve as a model for what the federal government does and what other states do also. Okay, do, do, doing it by lineage. 
But right. but treaties, Article Six of the U.S. Constitution, tell you that the U.S. Constitution, all the previous treaties, and all the subsequent treaties are the supreme law of the land. And the Black Freedmen Indian Treaties of 1866 are still on the books and still being enforced for those five civilized tribes and Native Americans. And we need to focus on getting that enforced again for us. This is some of the work that uh, Attorney Demario Solomon Simmons is is working on, who, who's on uh, sometimes on Roller Martin and Filter. Right, right, right. And, and it's and it's an ongoing situation. I mean, and and this is this is going to have to. If in order for this situation to to, to catch steam right now, brother Michael. You really do need to have a majority or, or, or a number of people involved. It can't just be black people. Right. Got to, I think there's got to be some white people. I think there's got to be some people from various industries, from law to, to politics that are that see this. And most importantly, you got to have black scholars around the table to figure out, OK, if this is going to happen, let's say to start off with the, in, in, with the state of California, one of the largest states in the country. If this happens in California, what does this look like moving forward in other states? Mm -hmm. We know that Evanston, Illinois, they already have put together a reparations model uh, in the outside of Chicago, the city of Chicago. Other right. places are looking at it. New York City is even right. um, is, is even Detroit is a Detroit, Detroit reparations yeah, right. now, 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 very quickly in Evanston, Illinois, it's important for people to understand this because the person who spearheaded that was Robin Ruth Simmons, who at the time was a city council member. I interviewed right. her for an hour on the African History Network show. A lot of people were critical of what they did because this dealt with um, uh, housing vouchers. This dealt with uh, assistance in, in buying homes and twenty five thousand dollars or whatever the number was. And and and. What people have to understand about Evanston, Illinois, is Evanston does not have a history of slavery. Slavery was abolished in the state of Illinois in 1818. Evanston was not founded until the 1840s. Evanston, Illinois is a city of about 60,000 people. Percentage of African-Americans is 16 percent. They don't have a history of slavery, but they had a rampant history of housing discrimination and redlining. So the city council was addressing the harm that the city inflicted, not what the state of Illinois inflicted or what the U.S. That's government inflicted. So when, we, so when yeah. we look at repairing the damage at the city level, you can't expect the city to address what the federal government did. They don't have those type of resources to do that. They, could, well, they will address what? what the city did. Right, right. And that's, I'm glad that you made that clarity and made that point. And it's, we're going to have to kind of to, to be weighted in as well to see how California Reparations Task Force responds. We got one minute left, Brother Michael. What's, your, what's, your, what's the latest work that you're doing, brother? Uh, this is our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, each Saturday in the month of March, because March is Women's History Month, we're going to deal, uh, have a, a free lecture, 12 noon Eastern Standard Time, Great African Women in History, the Mothers of Civilization. Uh, so we'll get that information at our website. But also 2 p.m. Uh, Eastern Standard Time, Saturday and Sunday. Saturday, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, 12-week online uh, history course I teach. And then Sundays, Black Resistance Movements, um, Haitian Revolution, U.S. Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968, 12-week online course as well. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, to register for these courses. And they're PG-13. You can use this with your children also. And we do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded, so you can go back and watch it anytime. There it is, my brother, Brother Michael. And Hotep checking in, as always, here on The Culture on Mondays. And you can check them out on Fridays on Rolling Martin Unfiltered. Brother Michael, thank you for being on the show. And thank hey, you for, thanks for having so me, Karachi. For the culture, bro. All right, thank you. Absolutely.
All right, folks, welcome back to the show uh, for our final conversation. We are tuned in, and I'm checking in with my brother, Brother Michael Hotep, host of the African History Network uh, show. You can find that on YouTube and on, on, um, on social media. But I wanted to have a conversation that Brother Michael, once again, he brought this to my attention, and I'm glad my brother did, where he talked about Japanese Americans and how they are making it clear that because they receive some form of reparations, Black Americans should too. Let me bring my brother back into the frame around this. Uh, and 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 brother uh, Michael, this is very very interesting. When I read the piece that that I saw, I was like, well, it makes sense, and it will. I think this will take the conversation to the next level. Let me just share with y'all with our crew. What folks are saying, here's it is from AP. This is what's happening now, folks. Uh, take a look at this. From California uh, to Washington, D.C., activists are joining revived reparation movements and pushing for formal government and uh, compensation for the lasting harm of slavery's legacy on subsequent generations from access to housing and education to voting rights and employment. Japanese-American activists in California are studying the landmark report issued by the California's task force and plan to reach out to college students, churches, and other community groups to raise awareness about why black reparations is needed and how it intersects with their own struggle. All right, Keenan, let's stay right there for a minute. Then we'll share the second quote in a minute. But I wanna go to you, Brother Michael, on this. This is very interesting because I remember, Brother Michael, when that conversation, and make sure you're not on mute, big bro. Um, I remember, yes. th there we go. Uh, when there was a conversation about the violence that was happening, that spate of violence that was happening against Japanese Americans in, in certain cities like New York City and other parts of the country, people, black people, and I remember having this conversation on this platform where black people were like, oh, so the government can address the violence against Japanese and we're talking about, you know, supporting the Japanese community, but then we're not talking about what's been going on for black people, which is understandable, which is understandable. But there were a lot of people feeling some type of uh, some type of resentment against Japanese folks for getting any type of government assistance or getting some type of policy to speak to their to their harm. Now, this is an interesting situation because you got Japanese Americans who are saying, look, we received reparations for what was done from our people from Pearl Harbor, uh, from Nagasaki and Hiroshima and all of that that America has done. We stand with in solidarity. How do you reconcile these two points, Brother Michael? Well, number one, people have to really understand the history, uh, uh, history prior to 1988. Uh, the first hate crimes act ever signed in the law in the history of this country was was signed in the law in 1968 by President Lyndon Baines Johnson. It was part of the Fair Housing Act and it was a result of the modern day civil rights movement and it was largely for African Americans. That's the, 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 that's the first hate crimes act ever signed into the history of this country. Then when you go and study why the Department of Justice was created in 1870 by Congress during Reconstruction. The Department of Justice was created largely to enforce the new rights that African-Americans were getting and to prosecute those who were violating their rights. And this is why in 1871, you had the Ku Klux Klan Act, and then you have President Ulysses S. Grant that declares martial law 
in nine counties in South Carolina to crack down on the Klan. And you had Klansmen prosecuted by the Department of Justice. When we look here at what Japanese Americans got, first of all, it's important to understand which Japanese Americans got a one-time payout of $20,000, which totaled over $1.6 billion. It was approximately 82,250 Japanese Americans. It was not all Japanese Americans in the country. It went to those directly who were uh, put into those internment camps during World War II, about 1941 to 1945 or so. And it, it went to those who had to be evacuated, okay? So this past Congress, now I, I posted this link here from justice.gov. If you could pull that up, that explains exactly what happened. That's from the Department of Justice. Ten-year program to compensate compensate Jack, uh, Japanese Americans interned during World War II closes its doors. So this was, and you can zoom in on that, uh, this was an act of Congress. It only went to those who were survivors of the internment camps. Now, members of the Congressional Black Caucus at this time advocated for this uh also, this restitution. Then the so this was 1988 that this bill passed. They left a 10 year window for people to make claims. In 1989, the Honorable John Conyers from Detroit introduced HR 40 for to to have a uh, a study done by the federal government on the harms of uh, that slavery has done done and the consequences of slavery, the the legacy of slavery to African Americans. So that was the year after after this. Uh, now, the problem is, is based upon Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act, Section 601, non-discrimination in federally assisted programs. Race-based programs are illegal at the federal level. You also have a similar law in California, which is why the California Reparations Task Force is prescribing their reparations based upon lineage as opposed to just race, just being black. Right. Okay, so so they can get around that and and withstand uh, court challenges because whatever they pass will be challenged in court. You have sure. to be able to withstand court challenges. That's all you have to understand law. Now, the problem with us is that all of the last of the former slaves died in the 1950s. So our situation is different than Japanese Americans because that that restitution only went to those who were directly harmed. For us, all the last of the former slaves died in the 1950s. So this is why you're going to have to approach it differently. And what will be uh, the what California is doing is probably what will be adopted at the federal level. If something is adopted, you have to do it by lineage. But the, the but the uh, most important thing that we have to understand is that this is not about a check. This is about comprehensive reparations and if you read the 500 page uh the 500 page study that uh the california reparations task force released in uh june of 2022 and i'm posting here in the chat the article from the washington post that breaks this down and it has the link to the uh link to the 500 study because i've gone through it and read part of it uh we have to have comprehensive reparations so the laws and policies that have put been put in place and still remain in place that have maldistributed wealth pond resources into the hands of Europeans you have to change those laws and policies yeah. this is why you have to understand the history of what's happened because if we all got a million dollars a day you and I both know white people will have it all back by this time next week 
And the right. only thing you would have done is stimulated their economy, but the laws and policies that now distributed wealth, power, and resources into their hands in the first place will still be there. Okay. Let me let me throw this out there as well, brother Michael. And I'm glad that you're bringing these points up. One of the things that um, was said was uh, was referenced is this uh, this Pew Research Center uh, uh, poll that was done about the issue. Right. Take a look at this, folks. Only 30% of U.S. adults surveyed by the Pew Research Center in 2021. And Keenan, let's pull this second quote up for me, please. Thank you, bro. Um, only 30% of U.S. adults surveyed by the Pew Research Center in 2021 supported reparations for slavery. That mm -hmm. was in 2021. That's two years ago. 77% of whom were Black Americans. Wow. That was two years ago, folks. Uh, support among Latinos and Asians were 39% and 33% respectively, and white Americans had the lowest rate of support at 18%. Now, some advocates said that the idea of reparations for the World War II incarceration camps was once considered outlandish. But many, take this look, I want y'all to listen to the show. Many right. young third generation Japanese Americans were inspired to mobilize from civil rights and ethnic pride movements, including the Black Panther Party and the Brown Berets who promoted Chicano rights. Mm -hmm. Look, folks, look at this. Take a listen, folks. Let me just say this, and, and Brother Michael, we only got a couple of moments left. Okay. But I wanted to, I'm, I'm, I'm bringing this up because if we understood that the struggle of Black people in this country serves as the metric, the standard, the very reference point on what human rights look like in this country, right? We open the door. Our struggle opens the door for other salvation. Right. And so for the fact that you got third generation Japanese Americans, young Japanese who are learning about the plant, the black power movement, the civil rights movement, they're learning about all of these uh, movements of black liberation that are saying, look, this is similar to what we experience. This is eye opening on so many levels. And this is why Chris, my guy, Chris Big checked in. He said something and, I, and I'm a true, true, uh, and I'm in total agreement with him. Chris, you made the point. You said uh, the benefits, uh, let me just make sure, let me make sure I'm pulling this up. You said, Chris, that in order for movements to be successful, that they must be diverse. And, and for a situation like this, for Japanese people, some Japanese, of course, not across the board, but some right. Japanese Americans saying, we want to support this. I think, Brother Michael, this pushes the priority up a few notches to get people to understand. Now, if you got Japanese that are signing on, imagine what would happen if Latinos signed on. Well, yeah, so this is why it's important to understand history and why the history of this country and the history of African-Americans has to be taught in all schools across the country. It has to be taught to everybody because those third generation Japanese are studying history, studying the black power movement, also studying the civil rights movement, uh, 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 Asian women like uh, Grace Lee Boggs, things like this, who, who was an ally uh, to the civil rights movement. Now, I just posted the link here to an article. If you can just pull this up for a quick second. This deals with how you tie all this together. Racism has cost the U.S. $16 trillion. This was a study, this was a study by uh, Citigroup Bank, and it, 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 it laid out three critical areas, and it said they looked at 
just for, from a 20 year period of time from the year 2000 to like 2019. And they said the U.S. economy had lost 16 trillion dollars um, uh, because of racism. And he yep. said black wor black workers have lost 113 billion in potential wow. wages over the past two decades because they could not get a college degree. Wow. The housing market lost two hundred and eighteen billion dollars in sales because black applicants could not get home loans. And about 13 trillion dollars in business revenue never flowed into the U.S. economy because African-American entrepreneurs could not get access to bank loans. It goes on to say that the U.S. could have five trillion dollars in gross domestic product over the next five years if those gaps and others were closed today, the study indicated. So that deals with changing laws and policies. But what this study documents and there are other studies like it, it shows how racism negatively impacts everybody in this country. It's lost opportunity for everybody, even though we get the brunt of it. So it, 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 it requires a re-education process and really teaching this history. That's why Juneteenth becoming a federal holiday could be very powerful if we know how to use it, because it allows us to force into the national conversation a history that Republicans are passing laws and state legislators to keep that history from being taught in the schools. So it has to it requires a total re-education process and show how all this is hurting everybody well, and policies that are good for African-Americans are good for America in general. Come on, there it is right there. Look, we're going to end it right there. Hey, 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 Brother Michael. Uh, I'm so happy that you brought this topic. I'm serious, brother. I, I didn't, I didn't see this, so yeah. I'm glad that you, you, you know, you were like, "Hey, Faraj, we need to talk hey, about this." I monitor, I monitor about 35 different news sources on a daily hey, basis. Hey, bro, and I'm so always, I'm always consuming. But this right. is actually, this is great. This is great, yes. and I think it's going to push the movement. I think it's going to push the conversation further along. I think it's yeah. going, and it's a huge. This uproots white supremacy on so many levels, brother Michael. You know it, and I know it. You're starting to see Japanese. You got, of course, black folks. If we start to see more groups of people standing behind black folks and saying, yeah, their struggle is our struggle. Oh, mm -hmm. right. Oh, right. brother. Exactly. Like, it's, it's, it's the sky's the limit. Look, we got a, we got a couple of seconds left. Talk to us about the work you're doing. Okay, visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We had two new 12-week online courses that just started up uh, this past weekend, the weekend before, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school on Saturday, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And then on Sunday, Black Resistance Movements, uh, Haitian Revolution, the U.S. Civil War, uh, the Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. So register for both of those classes. We do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. You can go back and watch it anytime. Even after the course is over with, you'll still have full access. You can watch it. Uh, and, and this information is PG-13. You can use this with your children as well. Register at our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. There it is, Brother Michael and Hotep. You can see him on Mondays here on The Culture. You can also yes. check him out on Roland Martin Unfiltered. Yeah, on Fridays. On Fridays. And so yes. we're so happy he's able to spend some of his time and most importantly, his brilliance with us. Thank you, Brother Michael. Oh, thank you, brother. Thank you for watching. Peace. Hotep, everybody. Hey, this is Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network and host of the African History Network show. Some of you, some of you all saw me on Faraji Muhammad's show, The Culture on uh, Monday, February 27th. And we talked about uh, Scott Adams, creator of the Dilbert comic strip, who is losing um, 
newspapers that carry his comic strip because of a racist tirade that he went on. And at the end of uh, the show, I talked about two online courses that I teach on the weekend, two online history courses. So on Saturdays, um, I teach a 12-week online course called Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, where they didn't teach you in school. And this class uh, just started up uh, Saturday, March 4th, 2023. We have uh, class number three. And I teach this class uh, I teach this class 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. So we deal with thousands of years of history and what leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. Uh, I do a PowerPoint presentation. We have book references, articles, video clips, and you never look at history the same way. When we study the transatlantic slave trade, we can't start studying our history in slavery. Even when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade, which is important to study, we can't start in 1619 or in the 1440s when the Portuguese get involved. We have to understand the history chronologically and deal with the 800-year occupation of Europe by the Africans known as the Moors, who enter into the Iberian Peninsula today known as Spain and Portugal from North Africa in 711 AD. And they take the teachings from ancient Kemet, ancient Egypt, into uh, Europe. Now, and these teachings are going to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. Now, this course not only deals with the transatlantic slave trade, but it also deals with thousands of years of history that leads up to the transatlantic slave trade taking place. August 20th, uh, 2019 marked the 400th year anniversary of the 20 and odd Africans who came into Point Comfort on August 20th, 1619 on that white lion pirate ship in what would later become called the uh, colony of Virginia. Now this year, uh, 2019 was known as the year of return as many African-Americans were and continue to reconnect uh, to Africa and traveling to Ghana and the West African of the original people of North, Central, and South America, okay? So this year was known as the year of return, 2019. As many African-Americans were and continued to reconnect to Africa and traveling to Ghana and other West African countries. When we discuss the transatlantic slave trade, we have to first understand that African people are the original people of North, Central, and South America. They have been in the land we call the United States of America at least 51,700 years. And one of the sources that we use in the class is Dr. David M. Hotep's book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence. Now, you don't have to buy any of these uh, books to follow along in class, but we use them for reference. So it's about uh, 70, 80 articles uh, that we reference as well. Visit our website, uh, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, 
and we have the information right on the homepage of, of the website, 12-week online course, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. So this class is on sale, $80 right now. Uh, our next class is Saturday, March 4th, 2023, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Click right here to register for the full course. So I do the sessions live. All the sessions are archived and recorded. Even after uh, the 12 line course is over with, you you can go back and watch the entire course as much as you want to. You'll, you'll have full access. All right. Um, and then we also have a bundle pack where you get both classes that I teach uh, on sale for $120. That's a $300 value. There will be uh, five of my uh, lectures that, that will be in the video library uh, when you log into your account and you'll be able to watch uh, five of my lectures as a, a free bonus as well. Now, the second class uh, that I teach deals with history from um, 1800 to 1968. And this is uh, black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution to the Civil War, Civil Rights Movement and Black Power Movement, 1800 to 1968. So I teach this class on Sundays, 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Our next class is Sunday, March 5th, uh, 2023. And with, with this course here, we study in depth this uh, 168, 170 year period of history. Okay. This is a 12 week online course as well. Same structure as the first class. Click right here to register here. And we have to understand that history leading up to the civil war, what led up to the civil war taking place, but then also, uh, understand what happened after slavery ended as well. Okay, and this helps us understand how we got to where we are today. What were the laws and policies? Uh, what were the laws and policies that were put in place to put us in the predicament that we're in today as African Americans to understand where we need to go from here? Okay, so in the aftermath of the insurrection uh, on January 6, 2021, at the U.S. Capitol, many leading historians drew parallels between the violence that we saw January 6, 2021, and the uh, Reconstruction era, which is 1865 to 1877, and this is the period after the Civil War ended in 1865. Uh, this was a period of political revolutionary, political revolution directly following the American Civil War. Now, this 12-week online course will analyze U.S. history primarily from the African-American perspective, beginning in the period 1800 to 1856, leading up to the end of the Civil War, okay, uh, in 1800 to 1865 as well, and the 13th Amendment. We'll look at the Reconstruction Era, uh, 1865 to 1877, the Red Summer of 1919, the Jim Crow Era, World War I, uh, the Great Migration, 1915 to 1970, World War II, the Civil Rights Movement and Black Power Movement to better understand uh, where we need to go from here and the laws and policies that need to be put in place. But you have to understand how you got to where you are today. The laws and policies that have now distributed wealth, power, and resources into the hands of Europeans. And uh, we have to understand the lasting legacy of slavery as well. Now, it's important to understand this chronology of history to get a better understanding 
of how we got to where we are now to understand where we go from here. Unfortunately, some of this history is repeating itself. Okay, unfortunately, some of this history is repeating itself. So uh, this class, you can register for now. As soon as you register, you can watch um, the uh, class, um, class number one uh, that we just had. Watch that. All right. Now, there, there's a good article from uh, time.com that we reference in the class as well. There's a good article from uh, Time Magazine, time.com. And this article is uh, a new report finds that 45 states are to teach um, A new report finds that 45 states are failing to teach students about the period that shaped race relations after the Civil War. And, and they're talking about the Reconstruction Era, okay? The Reconstruction Era. And if we look briefly here, briefly here at this article, um, it says scholars say studying aftermath. The scholars say studying the aftermath of the Civil War help context many of the most seminal events in the U.S. in recent years, from the brutal murder uh, of uh, George Floyd by police uh, to the voter suppression laws enacted after. Uh, black voters played a big role in helping Joe Biden and Kamala Harris be elected president and vice president in 2020. But despite the, the timeliness of the era in today's climate, many students in American schools will not get a full education on Reconstruction until they go to college. Okay, many students in American school will not get a full education on reconstruction until they go to college. Now, now the problem is most of them are not going to go to college, or a good uh, portion of them are not going to go to college. All right, so that's why uh, the content of this course is so important. And your understanding of politics, your understanding of politics, is directly related to your understanding of history. And politics is the legal distribution of scarce wealth, power, resources. In the writing of law, statutes, ordinances, amendments, and treaties, their adoption, interpretation, and enforcement. So coming out of this course, you'll have a better, much better understanding of how we got to where we are today, the laws and policies put in place, what needs, what uh, 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 the laws and policies that need to be put in place to, uh, to, to take us to where we need to go, okay? So this is understanding where, where, where we go from here. All right, so visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. We have the information around the homepage of the website, Black Resistance Movements from the Haitian Revolution, the Civil War, the Civil Rights Movement, the Black Power Movement. So we start in 1800. We look at the Louisiana Purchase of 1803 and the Haitian Revolution as well, 1791 to 1803, because those two events are related. And then we look, go through history chronologically. And we look at things like the Missouri Compromise of 1820, uh, Texas uh, winning its independence in 1836 from Mexico, Mexico winning its independence in 1821 from uh, Spain, uh, the, the Mexican-American War, 1846 to 1848, Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, which ends the Mexican-American Mexican War. And the U.S., as a result of the Treaty of Guadalupe Hidalgo, is going to get the territory that makes up 
California, Arizona, New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, and Nevada. They're going to get all that from Mexico. Mexico loses about a third of their territory. We look at uh, the Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854, uh, and we look at why the Civil War starts April 12, 1861. We, then we go through and analyze the civil, U.S. Civil War, uh, Emancipation Proclamation, January 1st, 1863, which did not free the enslaved Africans, ratification of the 13th Amendment, December 6, 1865, Reconstruction Era, 1865-1877, Compromise of 1877, which ends Reconstruction, and Rutherford B. Hayes becomes president, and the Republicans make a backroom deal with the Democrats that if they let Rutherford B. Hayes uh, become president, he'll remove the remaining Union troops out of the South from uh, Florida and South Carolina, et cetera. And then you have the Jim Crow era where the white supremacists have taken back control of all levels of government in uh, the Southern states. You have, uh, so we studied the Jim Crow era, Plessy versus Ferguson, 1896, U.S. Supreme Court case, Mississippi State Convention of 1890, where uh, they rewrite the state constitution and impose poll taxes and literacy tests in a state that had a majority African-American population and the majority of the voters were African-American as well. So you go through this period where you see these southern states, these former Confederate states, rewriting their state constitutions. South Carolina, 1895, Mississippi, 1890. Poll taxes being imposed in Florida in 1889. Uh, so we go through the Jim Crow era. Great migration, 1915-1970. Six million African-Americans migrating from the South, up North and out West. World War One, 1914-1918. World War II, 1939-1945. Civil rights movement and Black Power movement. Okay. To understand what happened to us uh, after slavery ended and what leads up to the Civil War taking place. So we can understand how we got here today and understand history, law, politics, and economics to understand where we go from here. So black resistance movements from the Haitian Revolution to the US Civil War, Civil Rights Movement, and Black Power Movement, okay? So you register for that class right now at theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Uh, that's on sale $80 as well. And we have the bundle pack where you get both classes for $120. Um, for both classes, this information is PG-13, I would say, so you can use this with your children as well. And also to support the African History Network, uh, you can support us, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, dollar sign the AHN show through Cash App, also through PayPal, paypal.me forward slash the AHN show. And we have it right on the homepage of our website as well. This helps us to keep doing the research, stay on the air, keep broadcasting, finance the African History Network show, pay some of the bills, et cetera. Okay. So we have a PayPal and Cash App information uh, there also. All right. So hope to see you in class. Visit our website, theafricanhistorynetwork.com, theafricanhistorynetwork.com. Remember, right now, it's, uh, also for returning students, those who have t uh, uh, paid for it. Uh, one of my online courses in the past, you get a 50% discount, uh, returning students, you get a 50% discount on our bundle pack. So email me at the, email me at AHN show at the African history network.com AHN show at the African history network.com. All right. And we'll get you taken care of right now. It's correct. Wrong behavior is not over till we win Wakanda forever. We'll talk to you next time. Peace.